Welcome to Families Matter Workshop. I'm Dr. Christine Turner. And I'm her daughter, Allison Jones. And we come from a family of dysfunction. This is a podcast for all families. Join us as we discuss family dynamics and provide tools we discovered and used to heal dysfunction in our own family. All it takes is for one family member to choose healthy change in order to improve family dynamics. And if we can heal, so can you. This is Families Matter Workshop. This week on Families Matter Workshop, we are going to be discussing communication. In the coming weeks, we're going to be diving deeper into communication patterns, dysfunctional communication, and how that leads to disconnected relationships. And when it comes to communication, I've heard this quote, which I love. It's communication is to relationships what breathing is to life. It's so true. I feel like if you ask any couple that has been married for decades, hey, what's your secret? What's the secret to a long, healthy marriage? 90% of the time, the answer is going to be being able to communicate with one another. Yeah. And have you ever taken a communication class before? I think I might've taken a couple in college. And were they like business communication or like relational communication? I think it was maybe like a public speaking class. Yeah. I remember taking like, it was called communication, but really it was about like how to give a speech. It really wasn't like okay, you're emotionally heated up. What do you do? Like what healthy communication yeah, looks like? Yeah. And, and then like an everyday relationship kind of thing. It was more like, how are you going to make money as a communicator? Right. I think that was kind of what my, my class was as well. But I think it's so important that we learn how to effectively communicate because I think everyone has a goal to be able to communicate in a healthy way in their relationships, to be able to have those really hard conversations right. without ending that connection. When I think back about an old boyfriend of mine who we had a lot of drama and a lot of yelling and a lot of immaturity, I remember my mom telling me, you know, we shouldn't speak more kindly to strangers on the street than we do to our own family. Yeah, to our loved ones. Yeah. And I remember just like carrying that forward kind of as a mantra. I've heard that from you multiple times. Yeah. And it just really struck me like, yeah, you know, these are the people I love. Right. And I think a lot of times we lash out at the people we love because we know that they're always going to be there for us and they love us unconditionally. Well, I think sometimes uh, we treat our family like you're going to go kick the dog. You know, you get home, you kick the dog. Well, okay, I've had a terrible day. I would never kick a dog. And yeah, we would never kick a dog, but we might kick our mom. No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, or our husband, or, you know. And I think that our relationships would be a lot healthier if we were able to have these hard conversations and know that we are going to get through them and be able to communicate in a healthy way that, you know, doesn't lead to arguments or doesn't lead to the drama. Right. And, 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 you know, part of that is not just talking about the communication patterns that we're going to have, but it's also doing the investigative work to, to deal with these strong emotions and understand before you get to the place that you're lost your mind. Now, in order to become better communicators, we have to investigate and understand our own communication styles. Yeah. And our own choices. And just like for me, it's taken me years to kind of go like, how do you feel about that? If something traumatic or upsetting happens, like I'm not going to know how I feel for 12 hours. Like I just knowing that it takes you a long time to process. It takes me a long time to process. I'll know I'm upset, but I won't know why I'm upset. And I, and the complete opposite is I want to have our fight, get my words out and then be done with it. Apologize, say you're sorry, and then move on. I'm, I am very quick to flee the drama. 
Right. But you 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 might be like, I engage and then I want it done with. And you engage pretty quickly yes. and you want it done with pretty quickly. And how does that work like in your marriage uh, when you're well, ready my husband, to make up or see the same? My husband uh, is, it t- takes him a lot longer to number one, feel like he's ready to apologize if he has something to apologize for. And it takes him a little bit longer for him to be willing to accept an apology. So if there's a conflict between us, I, and I, I know that I did something that I messed up on and I need to go and apologize to him. Sometimes he's just not ready to hear it. He needs to be mad for a minute before he can listen to my apology and yeah, we I mean, can move on. And a funny story about your dad, you know, because, um, I'm, I was, I'm much like you. Like if I know I did something wrong, I want you like, forgive I, me. I hate the feeling of someone being, being mad, mad at me or I knew I blew it and I've said, I'm sorry. And I want like that instantaneous forgiveness. And your, your dad would say like, I haven't even got finished being mad yet. And you already want to have this conversation. But I remember telling him like, it just shows his, his personality. I'm like, well, look, God says, don't, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And he's like, no, I get like 24 hours. <laughs> so, so like, it's not, if we fought at five o'clock, he's like, you know, we don't get until like nine, you know, like nine o'clock when we go to bed, we get 24 hours. <laughs> so the sun to set on the next day. day. And so it was like, oh, just different interpretations here, you know. <laughs> but I do want to just give everybody a little bit of a caution is that, you know, you're going to get awareness about communication and what's dysfunctional and what's not right. Unfortunately, we are so much uh, more able to discern everybody else's dysfunctional communication pattern. It's really easy to pick out the problems of other people than it is to have that self-reflecting insight to our own communication patterns and say, huh, maybe here's an issue with my way that I communicate. And so, you know, if we can tell the truth about ourselves, then we can be set free. And so this isn't to blame other people or we're not playing the blame game, the blame game or the now I'm the communication police telling everybody where they're doing bad communication. Right. Because if criticism worked, we'd all be perfect by now. Um, And so this is just, you know, whoever's the one listening to this, this is information for self-reflection for us to model better communication by having this insight. You need to take accountability for your own dysfunctional communication patterns because no one communicates perfectly all the time. I think everyone is a work in progress. And so if you can really take the time and say, okay, I want to become a better communicator, that means that you're going to have to reflect on yourself and see where is there room for growth? And like for me, just knowing myself, like, okay, I walk around at it. Like if a rejection goes from zero to 10, with 10, you're really upset because you're rejected. I'll probably walk around at a seven most of the time. And so it just takes some nonverbal communication all of a sudden to send me into a spiral. And then my communication is going to respond to that feeling. I'm rejected. I have to defend myself or I'm upset or I'm angry or I'm sad. And so just knowing like, are you a person who struggles with anger? Are you one that's going to lash out? A lot of people who struggle in their family relationships walk around angry at about a seven or eight. And so it just takes nothing to set them off. Yeah. And, you know, there's some people that can't control their anger. So you mean like, like somebody has Tourette's, they maybe couldn't control what comes out of their mouth. Right. So I would say, you know, maybe someone with learning disabilities, uh, people who don't have the emotional maturity, like children, right? Mental illness. If you have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, or um, you may not be able to control what comes out of your mouth. 
legitimately. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to tell a little story because most, a lot of times the people that I counsel will say, well, I just can't. And one of the issues we will talk about later is this belief that we don't have the power to change. Like, especially if you've heard from an angry person in your family, like, well, you just made me so mad or that's just how I am. Yeah. Oh, I'm just a hothead. Yeah, I'm just a hothead. That says who I am. I go off quick, but then I get over it quick. And I think also there's some people who maybe have experienced trauma in the past. Their threshold for maybe getting triggered is lower than other people. So people that maybe haven't dealt with issues from their past might be triggered or become more angered easily. And the flip side of that, people who have had a lot of trauma might put up with a lot of yelling and anger because that's just their normal. Right. And so, you know, we, that's just how you communicate in this family. We just yell at everybody. Um, and I, I do want to point out though, like uh, a test, your family member, if they're just kind of like, well, I don't have the ability to choose in some little hidden message. Like I'm just a hothead is if they would be able to control it. If a policeman was there, if the, a nun was at your house, they could control it. If they were, um, the pastor was visiting, if they can control their anger in those situations, then they do have the ability to control. And it goes back to what your mom would say is it's, you shouldn't be treating strangers in the street better than you treat your family. Right. And the, uh, a story that I was in a small group and there was a man in my small group who had an anger issue that he was open about. And he described this time that he had one of those old fashioned handset phones in his hand. The ones that still connect to the wall. Yeah. The, yeah. The heavy one, the one that I clonked my brother on the head with one time when I was, when I was angry, but um, <laughs> I did have a problem, but no, he had this thought like, I'm so angry. I'm going to th- hit the wall with my, with the phone. And then suddenly at the thought process, if I hit the wall with the phone, I'm going to make a hole in the wall. Now, if I make a hole in the wall, I'm going to have to patch the wall. And if I have to patch the wall, I'm going to have to paint the wall. And he did not hit the phone against the wall. And that's where he kind of had this revelation, like, I can control it. You know, right? if it makes it super inconvenient for me to have this angry outburst, then I can control it. Then I can control it. So the test of when you have guests at your house and all of a sudden your spouse is on their best behavior and you know that they're being triggered by something, then hold them to that standard. Right. And that, you know, and, and have the conversation. We, we know we can control it. And this isn't something to point out, like you can control it. If a nun was here, you wouldn't be saying <laughs> right. it. You know, that's not necessarily a productive conversation, but at a calm point say, you know, let's talk about this belief that do, is it harder for you? Yes. Are you more easily triggered? Yes. But can you control it? Cause you can't change what you don't own. And then of course, this isn't about our spouse being hotheads. This is about us being hotheads, right? Can we control ourselves? Right. I think one of the things when we're talking about not just anger, but a lot of times I noticed the tone that people use in their families can be really, really destructive. I think tone and body language can be bigger communicators than words sometimes. Right. And I mean, I think like when we go to texting, you know, you can't read tone. And like, I've had people read text to me and says, you know, um, I'll be there after I finish dinner and they'll read it to me and say, this is what she said. I'll be there after I finish dinner, you know, and you're, <laughs> right. like, you're like, well, I don't necessarily get that. So we know that texting is probably not a, a good way to communicate because it's so funny because during arguments, my husband and I are more likely to text each other to get our words out than we do having a face to face conversation. Um, we do a lot better 
when we choose to text each other because we have time to think about our words rather than just, especially for me, because I can argue quickly um, and throw out a lot of reasons why I'm right. Prosecuting attorney. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And for him, it takes him a while to like process his feelings. It takes him a while to process why he's angry. So if he has a second to think about it and then write it down, he is able to communicate to me a lot more effectively. But I think that for me, the benefit of me texting is that I won't say something that I regret. Right. And I mean, um, one of the things I, I'm so glad you brought this up because, you know, um, the people who listen and, and know me, like I was like the president of the debate team in high school. And so my a good arguer, I'm it a, runs in the family. Yeah. Huh? So prosecuting attorney, a prosecuting attorney B, but, um, but our family is very, a very argumentative family and very articulate. And with this comes, you know, when you grow up among a lot of arguers, highly intellectual people, um, you, you get to where you want to win the argument. And here I'm married to this sweet guy who's just kind of like, he would say, you know, like, I'm, I'm pretty, what you see is what you get kind of guy. And I had to realize if I wanted to stay married to my husband, I had to decide if I was going to want to win the argument or stay married. And I decided that I had to put myself almost in his perspective. And, and dad is a very no-nonsense intellectual. Right, right. Very type A. And I can see why the notes work. At times your dad and I use notes to communicate because I have so many words to get out. Right. So you would have a a letter that's front and back three pages long. I think um, it it was helpful because I could not possibly, I'm lazy. I don't want to write as many words as I want to say. And so it would make me to be concise um, and and just be very logical and be a lot less emotional and a lot more to the point and what I wanted to say. Right. And um, your dad was able to receive that better. Yeah. In when it comes to uh, communicating. So that's interesting. I guess that's probably the boomer version of texting is writing letters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That would have been. (laughs) But when it comes to tone, you know, I, I, I have to say that my heart kind of breaks when I'm in grocery stores and, and out in public because of the tones that I see so prevalent in just every like everyday interactions with their kids. And it's kind of like, I've always had this feeling like, well, if this is what you show in public, as you think is socially acceptable, what's it like in the privacy of your home? Right. And in a previous episode, we discussed um, the effects that the pandemic had on the youth and 55% said that they felt like they were abused, uh, abused, either emotionally or verbally, where they just felt like they were yelled at, screamed at, or talked down to. And, you know, as adults, we have a lot of stress in our lives. And we talked about how, you know, it's a lot easier to take it out on a loved one than a stranger, because you know that they love you unconditionally. But realizing like your tone, and how your words are coming across to someone, and that the impact that that can have on your relationship is so important. Right. And we saw a lot with teaching the effect that our tone would have on our students. Right. And and I mean, as any teacher knows that if your students like you, then you're going to have a great year. And so, you know, if you want people to like you, you're going to talk to them kindly. Right. I mean, not, I mean, did you have a teacher tone? I did. I did. I did have a teacher tone and I mean, business tone. Um, It was very like um, authoritative. Yeah. Sit down. Mine, get out your books. You mine know. was, you know, you'd get real quiet. Like if I came up to you, 
And I was talking like this. And I said, you better get it together. Then you better get it together. I did always, if the, the, the matter I was, the quieter I got. And that just freaks kids out. And you come up to them and go, if I have to speak to you one more time, you will be at the silent table at lunch today. Do you understand me? Uh, yes, ma'am. Oh. Yeah. And so it's interesting how, um, th- you know, when it comes to family relationships and communication, the person who's losing it actually has less power than the person who's quiet. Yeah. And I remember um, a woman in our neighborhood, she had a lot of kids and she never once ever yelled at her children. Someone who had six kids? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And in order to get them, you know, six kids. Yeah. That's a lot. I am, you know, overwhelmed with one. So I can't imagine. But I did see her get on to my friend who was around my age. And she just pulled her aside and got whisper quiet. And I don't know what was said. But I do know that my friend started acting right after that. Right, right. And and, and I like that. Pulling somebody aside. And this is just, in, in, you know, in, in families, maybe to bring something to the classroom, um, from the classroom, is that we, when we had to discipline and get onto a child, you would say, would you please go step out in the hall? Right. You didn't do it in front of everybody. You didn't do it in front of everybody. You didn't want to, to have a, a, a conversation that, because what happens with siblings when you, when you, and I didn't do this just so you know, and like for all um, honesty, I didn't do this. I didn't say like Allie go to the other room or Jeffrey go to the other room. I let you have it and, and doing so letting you have it, so to speak in front of the other person would create a lot of chiming in. You get input from the peanut gallery, yeah. so to speak. That's why they always do that. You should, you know, and so that's probably not helpful. And so maybe when we're talking about communication and correcting children to say, come to the other room and have that private conversation. And also, you know, when you need to have those hard conversations with someone, it's important that you are calm, cool, collected, and it's not in a tense moment. So, you know, take a second to, to back away, but then having that one-on-one conversation makes the person, the other person that you're speaking to feel like it's an important conversation that right. their input matters right. because your attention is on that other person. And and they're not being embarrassed or shamed where it's other people's business in the family. So what does good communication look like in your opinion? I think that a family can have a tone, a tone of tone, um, <laughs> you know, like how, how do you talk to you? Like, get me, get me some water or, Hey, while you're in there, will you please get me a drink too? Um, how you just every day communicate, please pass the salt. Is that normal? Or, you know, just the niceties of language, the civility of language can be being polite, being polite, you know, with your family, it can have a tone and we can change that by modeling it in our family. And I think too, as an adult, I see that we had polite conversation. We were taught polite conversation in our home. And I know if you're an adult who came from a family where there was a lot of screaming and yelling, you probably don't want that to continue. Right. And so having the awareness of what good communication looks like and the tools of how to carry that on into your family especially if you're around my age and you know, just starting a family. And I think that p- part of it is just practicing civility and kindness. You know, we are definitely at an advantage because we had a job that we had 25 people 
that were depending on us. And we couldn't go there and talk in bad tones, right? You know, no matter whether we had a fight and we were crying on the way with our husband and crying on the way to school, or we're really tired. When we step into the classroom, we need to be professional and we need to show our students love and kindness. And if we can look at our family the same way, not the professional part, but we need to speak to our family with love and kindness. Even when we're having those hard conversations, we can speak the truth right, and still have it come from a place of love. And, and also like in the classroom too, you would give your kids the heads up. Hey, I'm not feeling a hundred percent today. My nerves are a little afraid. I'm going to need, I'm going to let you guys know that I'm not having my best day to day. And so just if you guys could be aware of that and be more sensitive and try to keep the talking down and really listen better because my nerves are a little shorter. I would always say like my patient's fuse is a little shorter today. And give them the heads up and tell your family that no one wakes up and goes, you know, I want to be a complete B to my family today. I hope I am. One of the best things that I've implemented in my marriage is we've done, you know, check-ins and we rate ourselves one through 10 for that day. So, Hey, how are you feeling today? Well, you know, the baby was up all night last night and I have 15 loads of laundry to do. I'm just really stressed out and overstimulated and I'm at like a two. Okay. Well that tells your partner, Hey, you know, She's going to need a lot of extra love and patience right, today. Right. And I heard uh, Brene Brown speak about a similar thing where as a family, you say, what are you, what are you running at? You know, and, and if, if your husband says, you know, and she goes from zero to a hundred, but your husband says, I'm at a 40 and the wife goes like, I'm at a 20, then that's a sign that the family needs to like not have any extracurricular activities. Because you guys to, are only working at 80%. Yeah. The whole, fa- at the, at, at the whole family is only at 80 and you want to at least be at a hundred and you order to take out food that night and everybody goes to bed early. Right. And so that you can kind of communicate so that you know, because the emotions of exhaustion and stress are what trigger a lot of this negative communication. And if you can give your family, if we can give ourselves what we need and, and find out how everybody's running and then have a plan to help get everybody back to a hundred. Right. It's so important that we are able to name our feelings, our thoughts and our needs with our loved ones. Right. And I think that that is really what good communication is. It's that ability to self-advocate, you know, you able to say, I need this. I want this. I need this. And you know, I don't know why it's so hard. And we'll, you know, to say what you need, especially like as a mom or as women, there's something that says like, um, we don't want to come across as quote unquote needy, but that's mm-hmm. so silly because everybody has needs. You're right. I think sometimes when we have said what we wanted and needed, we've been told that we're selfish and that you're not sensitive and that you're not aware. Or that you're asking for too much. That you're asking for too much. And that get, feels like, I don't want to really tell you because my needs don't matter. My needs don't matter. Or you're gonna if I tell you what I need and you don't meet my need, it's going to hurt. Right. So I'd rather not say it at all. Ooh, that's, that's powerful. Um, especially your partner is going to be the person who's going to meet your needs, quote unquote, can be a dangerous thing though, because right. your your partner is a human being and they are not the meter of needs. God's right. the meter of needs. And so having this expectation that oh, just because I tell you, hey, I'm really overwhelmed and I need a break and you know, I need your help with laundry and I need you to do this and that and this and that, you know, they might not be able to live up that expectation that they're gonna be able to meet all of your needs. Well, they're not going to be able to meet all your needs. And hopefully you have a, a partnership where you guys step in as a team, say we're going to have to hunker down for the family. But ultimately, that that expectation is a very dysfunctional one. Like you're my need meter. 
And if not, right. you're, you're a failure, you know, and I'm mad. So in the weeks ahead, you know, we kind of have talked about communication as an overview, but we're going to get into some really nitty gritty ideas and discussions of what's going on in dysfunctional communication. And the types of dysfunctional communication, there seems to be four main types of dysfunctional communication. There's appeasing and placating, you know, where you have to kind of get people to uh, put up with people. There's blaming. And then there's where you use your logic to kind of talk to people like, to invalidate what people are saying. And then there's people who are just all over the place and kind of detached. And it's hard for them to have real conversations at all. And then we're also going to get into common negative patterns of communication, like interrupting, gaslighting. That's a big one these days. The don't talk rule, stuffing, speaking in code, or acting inappropriately to get someone to act appropriately. So join us uh, as we talk about these. And we're actually going to get tools to help identify and speak up when some of these negative communication patterns are at play. So tune in in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening to Families Matter Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast and join us each week as we learn how to talk about hard things without ending family relationships. If you connected with our discussion, you can dive deeper into today's concepts on our website familiesmatterworkshop.com. Here you will find additional instructions and materials to help you implement and process the tools needed to help heal your family. You can also find Dr. Turner's two books, Beloved from the Start and Families Matter, You Matter. These are available on Amazon. Do you have a relationship issue that seems impossible? We want to hear from you. Email us at familiesmatterworkshop at gmail.com or visit our website, www.familiesmatterworkshop.com. Anonymity will be protected. And remember, all it takes is for one family member to choose healthy change in order to improve family dynamics. Thanks for listening.